stand before him in awe. The great I am who chose to create you, who has given you every breath you have ever breathed. Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God, if I go back and tell them that I met with God and they ask me his name, what should I tell them? You tell them, I am. You have met with I am. Yahweh. Jehovah God. You have invited us into this room, O oh God, for the very same kind of an encounter, haven't you? That no matter what it is that we have been facing in our life journey up to this moment, it is minuscule in your eyes, for you are a sovereign, omnipotent, all-knowing God. You understand everything in each of our lives completely. You are capable of holding the entire universe in perfect order and watching over and giving life to seven billion human beings simultaneously, birthing another 350,000 new ones every day. You are the great I am. So right where you're standing, how do you thank him in the quietness and the privacy of your heart, my friends? And I invite you to invite him to sovereign over whatever is going on in your life. We have worshipped you, O oh God, in truth, in spirit. Now we open our minds and our hearts and we ask you to speak your truth to us. Touch us, please, God, each of us, right at the point of what you know to be our great need. Change us, God, so when we go out from this place, we are different people. And we ask it all for your great glory and for our good and growth. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen and amen. And I invite you to be seated in the presence of an almighty God. Hasn't our worship this morning just been awesome? Wonderful, powerful as we've been invited into God's presence. Thank you, worship leaders. Thank you, Pastor Mark. And I want to invite the children, the little ones up through grade four. If you'd like to go to some wonderful teachers who have been preparing for you, I'll dismiss you now. I hope you've had a, a week where you have occasionally had an encounter with God. I did. The picture you see before you, you've seen so many times, you know by now I love this picture very much because it's a picture of life. And I wonder what the footprints have been that you've been leaving behind you over the last weeks in 2014. What have been some of the most significant things that have happened to you in the first 26 days of the new year? Eight weeks ago today I stood before you and I read an email that was breaking my heart because a very dear Haitian pastor friend had been kidnapped in his own home and then murdered that night. An unexpected event 
that changed the legacy of his family. This week my telephone rang and Crail was being spoken on the other end of the phone and it was his widow. Madame Simon was calling me, where are you? I said, I'm in Chicago. Really? Can you come see me? <laughs> if a road can get me there, there's nothing on my schedule that's more important than that. And so I drove down to the south side on Thursday and spent time with these three delightful women. Madame Simon is the one on the right-hand side. Look at her smile. She told me the story, graphically, with tears. Pulled back her shirt just a little bit and showed me the scar where the bullet went through her chest. She said, I had heard my husband's automobile come home and I'd opened the door. The screen door was still closed, anxious to receive my husband at the end of a long busy week. And then I heard, oh, and I looked out and two men had a cord wrapped around his neck and were dragging him out into the street. The next thing I knew, a gentleman jumped in front of me with a bandana over his face and shot me at point-blank range. The bullet went right through me. I fell down. She went on and told me the story of how they had ransacked her house and tied up two dear women who had come to spend the evening with them. And then big smiles started to come on her face amidst the tears. Pastor Doug, God was there. And she gave me specific example after specific example of how she knew God was there protecting her. He said that the vandals came into our home and took whatever they wanted, including the cell phones of my friends. After they left, kicking me as they walked by, I, I got up holding my chest to stop the bleeding, went in, and my cell phone was sitting right there in full view, and I picked it up, called some friends. They came over right away. How could they not have seen my cell phone? God blinded their eyes, she said, so they couldn't see my phone. She says, my life has changed forever. But I give glory and honor to my God, a sovereign, majestic, holy God who I know loves me. And my husband is in his presence. And we will carry on. And she wanted me to express her thanks to you for praying for she and her family. Next to her, as you can see, a attractive, a smiling, wonderful young lady. She's been now 30 years in Haiti in one of the most remote, difficult places in the desert northwest, still a single woman. She says to me, I've come to peace with the fact I will never marry, but I'm confident that my God has given me a wonderful life journey to live with my Haitian friends who I love so much. The legacy that I've left behind, I hope, has been a woman who's content in her singleness as she serves her Savior. The woman on the left is the pastor's wife in whose home we were visiting in Chicago. I've known them for many years. I didn't know they lived in Chicago. When the earthquake hit Port-au-Prince four years ago, some of their family were killed in the earthquake, so they have taken into their home three of their children, adding to the three or four of their own children. So each of them was able to tell me how the tragedies of life has affected the legacy of their lives, but God has been there for them in each of the tragedies. We sat and we sang together great hymns of the faith, including one, Pastor Mark, that we sang last night, Great is Thy Faithfulness. fidelité <laughs> in French. It was wonderful. I had a wonderful Haitian meal together. Mm. <laughs> had great prayer time together. I didn't need to play the radio coming home. 
God, how do I thank you for the privilege of those kinds of relationships with people who in the tragedies of life can see the presence and the power of the great I am. Pastor Chuck unveiled for you last week our theme verse picture and the two verses. They're wonderful, aren't they? Would you say them with me? Let's start with John chapter 10, the one on the left. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then the one on the right from Deuteronomy 30, now choose life so that you and your children may live that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Powerful verses, aren't they? And I hope they come alive to you this year as they have to me. Would you look with me in John chapter 10, and let's continue to unpack that just a little bit more. I hope you brought your copy of God's Word. If not, there's one under the chair in front of you, I hope. John chapter 10, and let's see what John a close friend of Jesus, one that five times refers to himself in his gospel as the disciple that Jesus loves. Let's see what he tells us, what was happening when Jesus said this. John chapter 10, verse 1, I tell you the truth, Jesus said. Pastor Chuck suggested to us last week that chapter 9 and 10 go together. They're, they're part of a continuing experience there in Jerusalem. I tell you the truth. Twice Jesus says that in John 10, verse 1 and verse 7. Twice he says it in chapter 8. In fact, John records for us that Jesus uses that little phrase many, many times. Why? Because one of the main reasons that God came here in the person of Jesus Christ was to proclaim God's truth in a truth-starved world. Would you agree? And if the world was starved for God's truth then, would you agree it's much more starved now? So you see that I put a question there in your notes for you. Where do you go for truth? Where do you find the truth upon which you're going to build your life? For how many is that CNN? ABC? NBC? CBS? Fox News? So, so, oh, there's one for Fox News. Thank, okay, Barb. Where do you go for truth? C-SPAN that's telling us what they're talking about in Washington. Oh, there's a lot of good truth, right? Where do you go for truth? Maybe more importantly, where are you teaching your children and your grandchildren that they can find the unwavering, unshakable, always reliable truth upon which to build their lives? Would you say that that may be one of the most important questions that any of us have to answer? I tell you the truth, Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. I hope you've decided that this is where you find truth, that, that God's truth is the foundation of all truth. I, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Now, now, I don't know for sure, but because I envision, as I read the Gospels, that Jesus wasn't always sitting in a room just talking to people. He loved to talk to people out where life is happening. Here's what I think was happening when he said these words. You know that Jerusalem is a walled city. 
And you know that in the wall there were several gates, large gates, that allowed the flow in and out. And one of those was called the sheep gate. And outside the sheep gate were pens that kept the animals that were going to be used in the temple sacrifices. So I'm envisioning Jesus coming up to that pen and maybe putting his foot up on one of the fence posts there and just looking over at the sheep. And his friends are standing all around him. And there's other people standing around looking in the pens. And he says to his friends, the man who doesn't go in by the gate but crawls in some other way, he's up to no good. He's a thief. He's a robber. But the man who enters by the gate, and I wonder if when he said that, a shepherd was coming with a small flock of sheep to sell his sheep to the one who was caring for all the other sheep there. I I can see him coming along, and his sheep are close up to him. He comes, and he makes his business deal. Then he says to the sheep, okay, sheep, go on in there. Of course not. He walks into the pen, the corral, and the sheep come in with him because the sheep know his voice, right? And he knows them, and they trust him. And then he steps out and leaves the sheep in there. Now, I wonder if this was happening, perhaps, right in front of them, so that Jesus was using this as a physical, tangible example, as he says, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he's brought out all of his sheep, he goes ahead of them, Big difference between being a shepherd and a rancher. You know that, right? Sheep lead the sheep. Ranchers shout from the back and and move the steers. When he's brought out all of his own sheep, he goes ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. And Pastor Chuck asked us last week, do you know the voice of the good shepherd? What voices are you listening to? I find it so interesting what John writes next. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. It's because he wasn't talking about four-footed furry animals. (laughs) He was talking about people, us, right? And you see that in the next thing that he says. I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. He's no longer talking about a hinged gate that lets uh, lets sheep in and out. He's talking about the fact that he is the only way. You see what he says? All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now they were beginning to understand we're not talking about sheep here. We're talking about eternal life here. We're talking about the only way to God here. The thief, verse 10, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And while I was sitting in a little house in South Chicago today, this verse took on a new reality for me. Do you, know, do you notice that in verse 1 it says, the man who enters the sheep pen by some other way. But in verse 10 it says the thief. Would you agree that in verse 10 Jesus is talking about the devil, Satan himself? In, in John chapter 8 verse 44 he says to his friends, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. People were listening to him, some who trusted him, Jesus, some who believed in him, and some who didn't and were accusing him to be a blasphemer, a deceiver. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So do you see how you can link verse 10, the thief, with the devil in chapter 8, verse 44? 
But may I suggest that, that Jesus, in verse 1 of chapter 10, was helping us to understand that there are those people who are people of the darkness, who are thieves and robbers seeking to distract and destroy. The men who came into Pastor Simon's courtyard and dragged him out, that wasn't Satan himself. That was people whose minds and hearts were consumed by the darkness seeking to do great damage to a good man and his family. You and I live in a world of great darkness. Do you understand that? And all around us there are voices that are constantly trying to turn, off, turn us off the path and draw us into the deep darkness. Thieves trying to steal your joy, trying to draw you away from your relationship with Jesus Christ, trying to cause you to doubt the truth that God has given you. Can you recognize the voices of the robbers and the thieves of the darkness who are operating under the influence of the great thief, the dark one himself? Each of us is born with a sinful nature, so we naturally lean toward the darkness. Men, that's why when our wives and our children aren't at home and we've got the remote control in our hands, we zip by those channels. You know the channels that you'd certainly never watch when they're home. You even give consideration to the pay-per-view channel and you'd never do it when they're home. What is that? That's the sinful nature inside of you and a voice that's tempting you to go down into a dark place. You will live as will I for the rest of our lives, my friends, surrounded by the darkness of the dark kingdom, seeking to draw you and me always off the path. Now choose life, that path, into the place of darkness. Can you recognize the voices that are thieves and robbers trying to do you great damage and lead you to make the choices that are self-destructive and will ruin your legacy? But I have come, Jesus said, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, when Jesus was standing there talking to his friends, have you considered the fact that he wasn't talking to them in English? You know that, right? He wasn't talking to them in English. Maybe it was Aramaic, the language that they spoke up in the Galilee, and if you watched The Passion of the Christ, do you remember? That was in Aramaic with English subtitles. Maybe it was Greek, the, the language of the Roman Empire. When John wrote it, he wrote it in the language spoken across the entire empire, Greek. We have a little problem sometimes when the way it was written is translated into the way that we read it. There are several words for life in the Greek. John used at least two of them. One of them is a word that can be translated alive. Birds, fish, human beings are alive. We breathe. Our eyes blink. We move. <laughs> Suke is the way that it would, be, it would sound if, if you pronounced it. Alive, suke. There's another life that John used here. It means zoe. Zoe is how it's, it sounds if you pronounce it, and it means alive in a relationship with God. Alive in living life to the fullest the way God designed it. A life filled with effervescence, alive. I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life alive, zoe, and live it to the fullest in a dark world. Do you see it? Do you see it? Now as we read it, it just says life, 
But that's not at all what Jesus was saying. I have come that you need not ever live anymore in the darkness. In fact, in John 8, he says, I'm the light of the world. Those who follow me will not walk in the darkness anymore. They will be living life the way I designed it. So a fair question for you and for me. Are you just alive and you're grateful for that? Suke. Or have you begun to taste and discover Zoe? Life the way God designed it. I sat in front of a woman with a bullet scar in her chest whose husband was executed brutally. She said, I wanted to see his body. They told me, no, no, you don't want to see his body. She said, but I need closure. I insist, please, he's my husband. They warned me repeatedly. She said, Pastor Doug, it, it didn't even look like a person. The brutality, his face was so disfigured. She said, I immediately said, it couldn't possibly be my husband. Oh, it's about the same size, but it couldn't possibly be him. They asked me, are there any identifying marks? She says, well, he has a little scar about right here that he got when he was a little boy. Could you lift up his shirt sleeve? Sure enough, it was there. I said, I know, madam. I've seen it several times myself. She said, he had another little scar about right there. I said, could, she said, could you take his sock off so I could see his ankle? It was there. Said I sat down and I wept. I couldn't believe that human beings could be this horrible to such a good, kind man. Then she smiled. But he's with Jesus, and I'm confident God was with him, strengthening him in those horrible last minutes, whatever they did to him. Because I trust my God to be a good and a holy and a sovereign God even in the brutality of the darkness Zoe life to the fullest in the face of tragedy I am the good shepherd I lay down my life for the sheep Jesus said that's how you move from suke to Zoe that's how you move from alive to alive in Christ, trusting Jesus Christ to be your Savior, letting him pay the death penalty for you, and drawing you into renewed relationship with the Holy God, reconciled, adopted into his family, amen, filled with his Holy Spirit. So which is it? Which is it for you? And as you walk the journey of life, can you distinguish between the voices of those in the darkness under the influence of the thief himself who are trying to draw you into those dark places and those who are living zoe and are seeking to invite you closer and closer to Jesus living a spirit-filled, vibrant life alive. So I put the question there in my notes for you. Do I clearly understand the lifelong battle for my soul? Every day the choices are a part of the battle. I wrote for you on the front of the worship folder, every day we face choices, lots of them. In our choices, a battle rages for our hearts, our future, our legacy. Oblivious to the battle, we too often choose selfishly and regret what we find around the corner. Sometimes past wrong choices haunt us, making today's choices difficult 
God invites us to a better way. Can I show it to you? A magnificent, tangible example. Over the last several weeks, I've been inviting you to walk the journey of Moses and the people with us as they came out of Egypt. So let's go back to Joshua chapter 1 for just a couple of minutes and watch this in reality. Joshua chapter 1. Powerful, powerful, wonderful part of God's Word. Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. It would be easy for Madame Simone to conclude life is over for her. On the contrary, do you remember a couple of weeks I explained to you, my dear friends, God is writing his big story. It began before time began, and it will continue all the way into eternity future. And he wants to write you and me into his story. So what he's saying here to Joshua is, Moses' part in the story has concluded. Moses is dead. But I'm still writing my story, and my story includes my people and includes you, Joshua. So now you, get ready for the next step in the story. Get ready to cross and leave the desert behind going into the new land. End of verse 5. God promises, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, Joshua. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Could I invite you, if you sometimes feel all alone in the world, own that verse right there. Grab a hold of it. Jesus promised, I'll never leave you. I'll be with you always, right? Jesus promises that his Holy Spirit will live within us if we trust him to be our Savior. Own that verse if you find yourself in 2014 feeling as though God has abandoned you or left you. He's not. I will be with you always. In chapter 2, Joshua did as Moses had done. He sent a couple of spies in to check out the new land, remember? They came back from Jericho and made a wonderful report. And so look what Joshua says, the end of the second chapter, verse 24. The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. Let's go, he says. So chapter 3, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, move out from your positions and follow it. Why? Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Question. What are you following in life? When you get up in the morning and you set about your day, what is it that guides you through the day? The voice of your boss telling you what your job is and how to do it better? The voice of your family? All of us every single day are following something. There's something that's guiding your life. Here, do you see what God is saying to the people? You're going in a direction you've never gone before. Isn't that true for all of us every single day? You're living a brand new day. And I want to invite you to do something. Starting tomorrow morning, before you swing your feet out of bed in the morning, before they touch the floor, have a little conversation with God. God, it's a new day. What would you like today? Where are you and I going today? Where would you like to guide me today? 
I'm going to do the best I can to keep my mind and my eyes riveted on you. Lead me this day. I've never been this way before. I've never lived this day, right? Keep your eye on the ark. Why the ark? They'd been following a cloud, remember, for 40 years. The cloud didn't cross the Jordan. Why the ark? What was in the ark? Who remembers? What was in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments, that's right. Remember, Moses had come down from the mountaintop with the tablets and he put them in the Ark. What else was in the Ark? A container of manna. Amazingly, it didn't spoil for years and years and years, reminding them of God's faithful provision. First the law, the truth, then the provision. What else? Aaron's rod, remember, that budded? Keep your eye on the ark. It's God's truth. He'll guide you. Keep your eye on the ark. It reminds you of his faithfulness, his provision. He'll never let you go. Keep your eye on the ark. He understands you. So how do you and I do that? How do you keep your eye on God every single day since you've never been this way before? Regardless of what your daytimer says in terms of all the appointments you have, you've never lived this day before. Can you grab a hold of that? And then do you see what it says in verse 5? Joshua, consecrate yourselves. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Don't you love that? It means take a close look at myself, each of us, and ask God, is there anything in my life, God, that is preventing you from blessing me? Is there anything in my life, God, that is disappointing to you? Anything in my life that's getting in the way of you leading me according to your best perfect plan for how you'd like to use me in your big story? Consecrate yourselves, for the Lord would like to do amazing things. Do you believe that, friends? Do you believe that? Somebody said to me just prior to the service as we were talking out in the lobby that that person had been to Haiti several years ago and he says, there's several things that still in my mind I struggle wrapping my arms around and one is how can they have so much joy when they have nothing? Zoe. Abundant life. They have this deep relationship, so many of them, with a God who the only way they're going to eat today is if God provides. When's the last time you were there? How do you keep your mind and your eyes riveted and focused on God every day? And what might need to happen in a fresh consecration of yourself to God so you can go forward cleansed of all the junk that so easily holds us back? And then verse 8, do you see what it says? Joshua, tell the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when they reach the edge of the Jordan, go and stand in the river. <laughs> oh. You remember it tells us in verse 15, the river was running at flood stage. You ever seen a river running at flood stage? Really now? I have many pictures in my mind of when I was a boy in Haiti where it had rained in the mountains and coming down in those gullies between the mountains, it takes trees and bushes and houses with it. That's a flooded river. Go stand in the river. May I suggest that every single person listening to my voice right now, sometime in the year 2014, I can pretty well promise you, if in fact you want to live your life with your mind and your heart focused on God, walking the path that he's leading you on, you will face a Jordan River. You're going to face something where God is saying, do you trust me enough? Step 
into the river. I can just see the priests, can't you? They're holding the ark and they're walking, they come right up to the river. And they look at the flooded river. God, how about you stop the river and then we'll step. That makes a lot more sense to us. And they just stand there. Any time now would be good. Okay, I guess we're going to have to step in the river. And it tells us that the flow of the river started to go down to a trickle, and then it stopped completely. It piled up in a heap. And they went and they stood in the middle of the dry riverbed, and a million or more people crossed over. How many times have we missed out on God's best because we refuse to step into the flooded Jordan River? Own this, please, my friends. As they're moving across, God says to Joshua in chapter 4, Choose twelve men, Joshua, one representing each of the great tribes of Israel, and go and pick up a big rock, as big as you can carry, right from where the priests are standing. May I call those stones of experience. They're picking up a stone in the dry riverbed that nobody had ever seen before, because usually the river is running. Right from where they stood, a place of reminder of, this is where God met us in His power. Bring it up and pile them up at the place where you will stay tonight, the first night. Why? Chapter 4, verse 20, look. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that they had taken up out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean piled up here? You tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan, watch carefully now, just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before, what's the next word? Us, you see that? There was only two people alive who could tell the story as adults, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua is saying to the next generation, look what's happened here. We've told you the story of what God did as he opened up the Red Sea. Now he's done it for you, what he did for us. My dear friends, if if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have children and grandchildren, that is our great privilege. Let me tell you the stories of how God has worked in my family as we pass the stories to you. And now you open your eyes and watch for how God wants to work in your generation. Amen? Don't you agree that God wants to do great things around our world in the generations that are following us? The young people, the teenagers. I think it's safe to say God wants to do even more in their generation than he's done in ours. Yes, it's true, more than 3,000 people an hour come to Christ around the world. Imagine what's going to happen as technology is perfected. And technology can reach any person, any place, in any language known to man. In chapter 5, the last thing I want you to see today. Oh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience for this million people to come across to the new land. Can you imagine them standing there looking back at the desert and saying, We're free, free at last, no going back. The Jordan River returned to flood stage. But there was a problem. And the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, tell all the men, circumcise yourselves. What? What? 
You see, God had given to Abraham, as you know, a mark, a distinctive mark only for the Jewish people, God's people. Generation after generation, as the boys were circumcised eight days after birth, it was the mark of the covenant. But these hundreds of thousands of boys, Jewish boys, had been born to angry, resentful parents. I'm not giving my son the mark. So now, before they move into the new land, it's time for one final act of consecration. Sever yourselves from the past. This place will be called Gilgal. Roll back the reproach of the past. Probably every one of us in this room has something about the family into which we were born that we carry as a bit of a load. Maybe several of us in this room carry broken hearts and the heavy heartache, the deep, dark shadows of the stuff of the past of our families. Stuff that we experienced that was done to us or things that we observed. Things that we know about our families that we're not proud of. Choices that we ourselves have made that we would go back and give anything to do differently, but we live under the shadow of it. I want to plead with you this morning. Before you take one more step into 2014, walk yourselves through what I've given you this morning. What are you focused on that you live every single day with your mind and your heart focused on that? Jesus says he would like to be your great shepherd following him. Anything other than that and you will probably find yourself disappointed. Consecrate yourselves. Look honestly at yourselves. Is there anything in your life that you know is dishonoring to God, is preventing his blessing of you? And then this one. Look carefully. Anything that haunts you from the past, your family or yourself, make the decision today. I will no longer live in the dark shadow of my past. I will no longer allow the pain and the wrong of my past to hold me and to shackle me as I go forward. I will give all of that over to God and I will ask God to sever that from me, to cut the cord now and to let me move forward free with the past in his hands. Gilgal, roll back the reproach of the past and move forward with me. Why don't we talk to him about that right now? Because my guess, every single one of us in this room, we're all walking the same path. 2014 lies before us. And we need to make some choices, each of us, all of us, some right choices. So God, I'm asking you, would you help us? You have said, Lord Jesus Christ, that the thief has come only to steal, kill, and destroy. You've showed us that we were born with a sin nature and our natural tendency is to lean toward the darkness. All around us are the voices and the handiwork of the dark kingdom trying to draw us into those dark places of self-destruction and making the de decisions that hurt our family and others around us. We carry the wounds of the past. God, you've invited us this morning, like those with Joshua, to make a choice. A choice of what am I going to follow going forward? Keep your eye on the ark, God's truth, God's presence, God's power, God's great love for you. Help us honestly look at our focus, 
where our eyes are, where our heart is. What has captured our heart, God? Consecrate yourselves. Help us to honestly look at ourselves, every corner of our lives, to see, is there anything there that is preventing you from accomplishing all you would like to accomplish in and through us? Anything in our lives that's causing you to withhold your hand of blessing upon us? Step in the water, the flooded Jordan River, by faith, following me. How many of us, God, are holding back? Oh, we see the river in front of us. We know exactly what you've called us to. But it's scary, God. It's scary. Would you awaken in us the courage to step in the river? Sever. Sever the strongholds of the past. God, would you help us to see what in our past is so destructive in our present and is damaging our future? Lord Jesus Christ, I'm imploring you, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help our minds and our hearts to think today in new ways? And if you're in this room and you have never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, then you're still living under the influence of the thief who would like to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come, your great shepherd. He's given his life so you could be set free. He's arisen from the dead, victorious over sin, Satan, and death. He's inviting you to trust him to be your Savior, to be your Lord, to be your guide, to be your friend. Right where you're sitting, privately, quietly, give your life to him. Invite him to change your life from simply surviving to Zoe, living life to the fullest. Now, God, we worship you with a powerful, reflective song that calls us to consider the work you would like to do in us. Maybe you just need to see the words and reflect and pray. Maybe you want to sing and join us as an expression of your heart of adoration for God and your invitation for Him to work. Maybe you need to get on your knees right where you are or come forward and kneel or pray with Pastor Chuck or myself. Don't let this just be a moment of music. This is a moment of consecration. And so we worship you, O oh God. Beautiful.